Have you been curious about using more integrative approaches, but are unsure how to start? I know many therapists are hesitant to use integrative modalities due to fears around the scope of practice. We'll address these fears head on and explore how incorporating them can greatly improve client outcomes. Join us as we explore the evidence-based practices that are shaping the future of mental health treatment. Whether you're a mental health professional or someone seeking to improve your own mental well-being, this podcast is for you. So sit back, relax, and let's dive in. This is Holistic Counseling, the podcast for mental health therapists who want to deepen their knowledge of holistic modalities and build their practice with confidence. I'm your host, Chris McDonald, licensed therapist. I am so glad you're here for the journey. Welcome to today's episode of the Holistic Counseling Podcast. I am so excited to bring you today's episode on integrative approaches. You'll gain so much from this and be able to start integrating some of these strategies from this episode. Today's guest is Dr. Roseanne Kapana-Hodge, a mental health trailblazer, media personality, and founder of Dr. Roseanne LLC. And she is changing the way we view and treat children's mental health. She is a former guest and came back on episode 45, Effective Treatment for OCD with ERP, which if you haven't listened yet, I highly recommend. Welcome back to the Holistic Counseling Podcast, Dr. Roseanne. I am so excited for us to have this conversation about all things integrative mental health. Me too. And can we start with you sharing more about why you expanded your practice beyond traditional talk therapy? Yeah. So, you know, this is my 31st year in mental wow. health. Amazing. I don't know how that happens, Chris. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but it's pretty amazing how time passes. But you know, I have always been a holistically oriented individual. I am the daughter of Italian immigrants and my upbringing, we always knew that food was medicine. And what everybody thinks about Italian food, unless you've been to Italy, you know that the way American Italians eat is not the way that Italians and Italy's eat. They eat a lot of very healthy, intentionally nutritious food and a lot of vegetables. So that was my upbringing, you know, had a garden and, you know, my mother was way more likely to give me a bowl of not just soup, but like soup with garlic and onions and things that were designed to boost your immune system when I was sick, than take me to the doctor. Okay. Of course, my doctor was an Italian speaking doctor, Dr. Stefari. And so, <laughs> but what happened was, and when I went into mental health in the 90s, early 90s at that, is that I started working in psychiatric hospitals. So when you work with the most challenging clients, the clients that are have the trauma, they are on all the psych meds, they're so reactive in every aspect of how their brain interacts with the world, how their body interacts with the world, their behavior just reflects this activation. You quickly realize you've got to do a lot more things other than psych meds and talk therapy. And in fact, what I learned was that these kids didn't respond to talk therapy. They responded to, of course, things like play therapy, but also I really took kids outside. I got them connected to nature. I, I did a lot of things outside of the box right out of the get-go because I am one of those people that believe that every single human can get better. And I do not accept when my client, my family that I'm working with, they're trying 
and we've exhausted all of our avenues. And that's exactly what happened to me, Chris, is like from the first cases that I had, it was like, well, they're treatment resistant. What does that Mm. word mean? That word means that what we are doing in a traditional sense, whether you want to call it allopathic, that's what a lot of times we refer to the medical model, that when we follow that medical model and we've hit that wall, what else can we do? And so, you know, my story is I went and looked in microfiche in the 90s and started- I remember that. <laughs> remember that? <laughs> For you young people, it's down in the basement and you pull up on, you know, essentially almost like this thing with, with all the journals on it um, in newspapers and you look up journal articles, right? And I was like, wait, why are we not talking about, you know, nutrition and neurofeedback and biofeedback and different types of therapy, not just talk therapy, but really even very condition specific therapies like ERP and cognitive behavioral therapy when it's used with a high degree of training, because a lot of times we're trained in a generalist manner and we don't go deep. So It really became this point for me as these desperate, desperate mothers were coming to me, Chris. I mean, please, Roseanne, you are the end of the line. What are we going to do? Well, I went to research and that is how I got into holistic methodologies because there are so many ways to change the brain. And thankfully, 30 years later, I have moved from kind of screening out who I could talk to about this with as families like, oh, you mentioned the word homeopathy. Do you know about homeopathy? Can we talk about it? Oh, you mentioned changing your diet. What do you know about it? Now it's coming forward. This is my work is encompasses all of these brain-based, scientifically-backed methodologies. And I love, love, love that therapists are talking about, you know, mindfulness-based stress reduction, yoga, meditation, as I talked about, nutrition, supplements. It's all out on the table because the science is pointing us there. And we have a national crisis of mental health, not just for children, but for adults. And we've got to send the message that it's lifestyle, 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 daily consistent actions, whatever that is, that is going to move the dial. A pill ain't going to fix it. And traditional talk therapy alone yeah. isn't going to fix it. No. Yeah, because I know you mentioned the wall. It is a wall, isn't it? Once we wall. just it's are a- engaged in it. And I've had people come to me, they've had traditional talk therapy for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. I'm like, they haven't, the dial hasn't moved. I know you mentioned the dial. It's like, they're just like, I don't know what else to do. And I'm like, we need to look at holistic solutions. Yeah. You know, I recently, and please know whenever I talk about cases, I protect their identity, but I recently had somebody who I'd been working with for quite a bit. And it was a person who experienced developmental trauma, abuse, you know, not unlike many of the people that we work with and there's big T's and little T's. This was a big T. And she had been doing talk therapy, not even trauma-informed therapy. And I said to her, how long have you been going? And she said, to the same therapist since 1998. And, wow. I, and I was like, well, I'm going to give you props for being consistent. And, you know, she's like, I know what to do. I know what to say, but I can't stop my body from activating. And I was like, well, let me talk to you about why. And we, I really helped her to understand 
what happens in the nervous system when you have trauma and the activation is leading things for you. And fast forward, we were able to change everything with neurofeedback changes in diet. And she had said to me, it was one of those things where, you know, you really get pretty verklempt as I always say that, you know, those moments you'll always remember because this is why we do what we do. And she said that, I didn't even know it was possible for me to not feel the trauma, to not feel so anxious in my daily life. You know, she was able to graduate and move on. And, you know, she did some trauma work, just so you know, we wanted her to do more concentrated trauma work. And I think that same therapist learned EMDR for her. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And, And that was great. And, you know, there is that point. And this person didn't give up on herself. God bless her, really, truly. And, you know, the work the therapist was doing was important. It's just she couldn't access it with such an activated nervous system. And I think that's really important in a conversation. My tagline is calm brain, happy family, because I want everybody to know you've got to calm the brain before you get to this talk therapy. And we're now realizing there's a variety of ways to do that. Potentially medication is an option. I'm going to tell you that I I work with children primarily, and my belief is that that should never be the first option, that there are other evidence-based options because it's a developing brain, but there are a variety of ways to calm the brain, and, and that's what this conversation is about. So therapists can feel good about what they recommend. They can understand what their ethical and legal you know limitations are. I think that's so important because, right, Chris, we get this conversation question all the time. Yeah. So I know you mentioned the nervous system and that psychoeducation piece. So can you talk about that? And why is that important to use that in therapy with clients? You know, our clients of every age, when they struggle, they have so much shame and blame. And it is the shame is the greatest stopper of any type of success. (laughs) And I look at, you know, dealing with your anxiety and your depression or your family getting through that and feeling good in your body is a success. But we have so much, so many bad feelings about it. And part of it is I'm always in shock. So I am often the last stop when people come to me and they've typically seen five or more, I would say five is almost light providers. Um, And I tell the story that my world record is I had someone who came to me and I was their 55th provider. They were in desperate. Yeah. yeah. They were in desperate search of the problem, of what the problem was, which, you know, I was able to figure out in 10 minutes. And it was called Lyme disease. And I got them to a medical provider, but she knew in her situation, it was so obvious there was a sudden onset of a problem and and nobody just took a medical piece, right? And, and when I say 55 providers, it was medical doctors. It was a lot of mental health providers. It was a lot of things. So people come to us and they don't understand what's going on. So yes, I am able to use this amazing tool called the QEG brain map and just really simplistically, but you don't need it, but I'm going to explain what it is. It's a way to to measure brainwave activity, to get a visual representation of exactly in the brain where what is working, what is overworking and what is underworking in the actual structures. And then it shows you brain communication. And both are equally important in how a person functions in every aspect of life. 
So I'm able to look at that data and say, oh, well, okay, well, your frontal lobes aren't working in this particular region related to, you know, sensory processing or whatever it is and give people really in-depth understanding. Even without that, when somebody has ADD or they have OCD or they have, you know, depression or anxiety, some of the most common clinical conditions, for you to understand and then explain it to them in a way that's like, hey, this is what the ADD brain is. An ADD brain, it's not that they can't pay attention. An ADD brain actually can hyper-focus on preferred areas of interest. It's just that it can't pay attention when they're not interested and the frontal lobes are in part of that. So you can get a feel, you can get something that you can explain to people and you can be the master of that. And to explain it that, you know, yes, this is your brain. It's not out of control, but there's ways to hack into that. Let me tell you of all the things that I do besides actual treatment, this is the most powerful thing that I do with the people that I work with because they have no understanding of what's going on. They feel terrible about themselves as we talked about. And knowledge really is power. The problem is we're giving people a lot of wrong knowledge. Like, oh yeah, you have ADD and you can't focus and you need to take a pill. Mm, Okay, forget about that. Even if that's the route you go, what are they going to do about it? You don't just take a pill and all of a sudden know what to do. You got to teach them about their brain so they can understand and hack into those resources. Really, really important. And I think every single person, you know, every single therapist, you got a graduate degree. You don't need to be a neuroscientist. You need to understand from a brain perspective what's happening in those few clinical conditions that you specialize in. Yeah, because I'm thinking like PTSD, I, you know, I treat a lot of trauma and and I, when I go through the nervous system and provide that psychoeducation, there is just this look of relief. Relief. Yes. Just like yeah. that. It's almost like a con. They're like, really? Yeah. So I'm not just crazy? No. They never understand why they're so activated and hijacked. Yes. You know? So, so many times people feel like I can never get control of that. So I'm just going to give up. Yeah. Right. And that's where like depression sets in and those other clinical conditions. In my practice, depression is often a secondary result of another problem because you just sort of give up. You know, you go into that freeze mode and you shut down. But the understanding about the basic autonomic, you know, stress response, how our body, you know, goes from parasympathetic to a sympathetic dominant, what happens, fight, flight, or freeze. And then what is that specific part of that clinical condition? I feel like is one of the best things that any therapist can do for their client. Agreed. Now I see that. And and it's a a normal reaction to abnormal circumstances. That's what I've learned in practice with clients. And yeah, because I think once they have that understanding too, and it's treatable, we can treat trauma. We can come to healing. I've seen it for them to understand that. It's amazing, right? You know, we we always are painting this picture that every single thing has to completely derail you for the rest of your life. You're doomed, right? I'm like, honey, this is just good marketing by pharma that wants you to stay on the pill. But like, and not to say that these things don't experience, but I mean, I have the privilege of helping people walk out of their clinical conditions every day. You know, and it's just truly amazing. And all of us do. We have people that move that, whatever that issue is, into the appropriate compartment in their brain or rectify what's going on. I think the thing that draws me the most to being integrative is that we know that the mind and body 
and spirit are not separated. And so when we put only certain things in a bucket, like, oh, well, this is the only treatment, right? Integrative means we are integrating the best of what works. That is true. Oh, say that again. Yeah. Integrative means we are integrating the best of what works, right? Yes. And we are using science. So when we start with the brain and we start with education, I mean, it's just so empowering. And then what I do is layer in what are the brain techniques that are most likely to work with that clinical condition? And yeah, okay. So I've done a lot of research. Yeah, I got a book. But people, we got Google. (laughs) You don't have to go to the microfiche. And you can really understand. I mean, you know, I tell the story. So I do a lot of one of the specialty areas that I really, truly embrace and people fly in all over the world to come to me for is infection-induced mental health problems. So I work with people with PANS and PANDAS, which is you have a, it's a misdirected autoimmune response where the body toxin or an infection trigger causes the body to attack itself and produce all this inflammation and then neurocognitive and neuropsychiatric issues result. And a lot of today is, you know, and today the day of filming, this is International Lyme Disease Day. And so a lot of my peeps have, of all ages, have Lyme disease, but there are many reasons why. And because of the work that I have done with that population, it really is an embodiment of, you know, what happens when the physical problems drive mental health problems and really shines a light on how terrible and how archaic our systems are because they have a physical problem that gets misidentified and then they all end up on the door of psychologists and therapists and mental health workers and they don't know or have enough training. They only know when they get ex- exposure to it. But, you know, when we talk about, you know, mental health and, you know, what's actually working, we have to always go back to how do we teach people about the brain? And for me, wh- how I even really started to really change my psychotherapeutic work was because I was getting so many people with infectious disease. And I started getting a ton of people with OCD. And what was my OCD training? My OCD therapy training was CBT. And it was the same for anxiety as it was for OCD. And that wasn't helping me. No. (laughs) In fact, I was hurting my people. And it led me to ERP, which is exposure response and prevention. And what a dramatic difference. I used to always say that when somebody came on my door with OCD, which again became increasing with PANS and PANDAS, oh my gosh, I'd rather have a heroin addict. I have better success with a heroin addict because I knew what to do. And by changing this, and we have to change, one, we have to change if we're working with certain patients and those are the patients we accept, we have to look at what actually works for them. And that's how I found ERP was through scientific study. It wasn't that hard. And I honestly was never trained in ERP. Like it was so limited and so few people do it. But Going to the science, looking at what's there, and even let's let's look at OCD, right? Because that's a specialty area of mine. What happens? What happens in their brain? What are the main sources? So in my population, at least 80% of them had infectious disease. So I then had to say, okay, well, you got to study infectious disease. What works there? Now, I'm not saying be a medical provider, but I had to make sure that I had a list of medical providers. I had to, their nervous systems are so hijacked 
uh, with OCD, I had to make sure that I really understood mindfulness-based practices, where to integrate uh, things like breathing, yoga, meditation in the treatment process for them because it's not the same for somebody with OCD than it is for, I want to say simple anxiety, but anxiety. So really understanding when what to use and when was really important as an integrative provider. I know you mentioned all these different modalities. Does it work better? I know you said layering too, and I've talked about that in this podcast, that usually it's not just one thing. No. That it's usually multi-tiered, isn't it? As far yeah. as approach, especially complex issues when there's yeah, health issues. you know, and... I don't even get non-complex issues anymore, Chris. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> Where are these people? Where are they? <laughs> you know, they, they're they often complex because they get delayed treatment. And by the time they get to the mental health provider, it's come from a small issue to a crisis. Many people don't seek mental health care until crisis. And I think this pandemic shined a light on that more than any other time because the ER visits for mental health was astronomical. But, you know, we, we layering. So, okay, we are an impatient society. We are in our culture and our American culture. And I really do treat people all over the world and I'm first generation American. So it's given me quite an insight into what people are like in certain regions of the United States. You know, what are different value systems? I happen to live in greater New York area. I'm going to call it ground zero for intensity and impatience. And it's been great because I have to educate people, but there is no magic fix. So sometimes they come to a therapist and they're like, I'm going to come to you every other week and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And you're like, hold on, you're not going to change your six years of anxiety coming every other week, right? It's about establishing boundaries. It's about educating them and what needs to happen. But ultimately, when it comes to integrative work and really for me, the brain, because everything starts with the brain for me, the brain needs multiple ways that it's reinforced, okay? Not just in behavior, but also how are we supporting, regulating the nervous system? You can't work in the same way the nervous system that is literally at max capacity cycling through fight, flight, or freeze. You cannot work with that same individual as you can with somebody who sometimes gets to a parasympathetic state. The ability to have insight is totally different from a complete neurological perspective for somebody whose autonomic nervous system is regulated or capable of regulating. We have to walk it down. And what are the ways that, that I do that? I do it with nutrition. I do it with supplements. I do it with brain training, neurofeedback, and PEMF primarily. Then I layer in good cognitive behavioral therapy and other things along the way. And, and you know, obviously it's not easy, but I always tell everybody who's like, oh, Oh, gosh, I don't want to do all these things. You have to shift because you're just taking so much effort down a road that's never going to get you anywhere. In fact, it's often worse. And the psychoeducation really becomes the place where I can get commitment. But once I get them into the process, the therapeutic process, they feel it. When you get yourself out of that activated state, wow, you feel a lot better. Are you a holistic counselor looking to build your confidence with holistic counseling and earn continuing education contact hours at the same time? Look no further than earning them with my online holistic training series. My series is designed specifically for you, including startup strategies for using yoga in sessions, ethical and legal considerations, and self-care boundaries for therapists. 
You get a script you can use right away to use yoga, learn when and how to introduce these practices into sessions. My ethics course will help you dive deep into ethical practices and how to protect yourself and your license. You can take one, two, or three in the series. Currently, they're 50 each or 120 for all three. If you purchase before June 1st, you'll get lifetime access, and I'm doing a holistic webinar in June that you get to attend for free. On June 1st, the price is going up, so grab yours as soon as possible. Go to www.hcptrainingseries.com. Yeah, I know you mentioned about determining individually when and where to use the holistic modalities. And I know a lot of listeners may not have all those wonderful tools that you have. So what would you say to therapists that might be considering using some integrative holistic modalities, but just like, how do I do this? Like even for mindfulness, for an example. Well, first of all, I'm going to say bravo. If you're now realizing what you were traditionally trained for doesn't fully support everybody and you are wanting to know more about science-backed integrative therapies. And, you know, there's twofold, like where do you actually start to learn? And what I should say, and I don't know what point, Chris, you want to have the discussion about what are your training boundaries, yes. you know, what are your state We boundaries. can go into that. Yeah. Let's do that. And then let's talk about where to start. So people always ask me like, well, oh, Roseanne, what certifications you have? What are this? What are that? And all that. Let's dive into that. First of all, I want you to know you are within your ethical and practicing boundaries to have holistic integrative therapies. Okay. What each state allows is unique. What each license in each state allows is unique. So in my state, I am allowed to do a lot under my license as long as I am trained. And training for me, because I'm truly like a learning nerd, I believe training should be deep. If you're doing a lot of superficial training, how are you going to really help your people? You know, and I've trained a lot of therapists. Like I was a college professor in a graduate program, but I've also had a large practice of therapists at different points in training people. And people are very resistant. Therapists are very resistant to training at a deep level. And let me just specify what that means. Like, you know, I want to do CBT. And I would say, well, you're going to get certified in CBT. And they're like, well, I don't really have to. And I'm like, the difference between a certified CBT therapist and somebody who's taking a course means you've actually had not just a superficial understanding, but you're really getting practice. You're you're using those techniques that are going to help move the dial. And it kind of is a shortcut to experience, but nothing, nothing negates experience. But experience when you're actually doing, you know, like I think about the first two years I did neurofeedback and I was calling my mentor every week (laughs) because all my cases were complex. And she was like, wow, you have really complex cases. I was like, I warned you, Mary Jo. And then you move to a point, but to have that lifeline is there. So one, you want to check your state laws. You want to make sure, you know, what, what does provided under it? And, and two, go for training, certification if possible. And training is great because you might be like, like I, I got trained in EMDR. And when I really did the research between EM, like for my population, people, please don't take offense. Like the EMDR versus EFT, all, my population did much better with EFT than they did with EMDR. And my population, it just was a better fit for us. But I did the training 
And I did a lot of different trainings. And then I was like, wow, this is way more in alignment with me. So don't do anything that's not in alignment with you and your clinical population. Or just because you hear that everybody's doing EMDR. Just oh my you, gosh, you have absolutely. to be in alignment. Absolutely. So, you know, and I'm all about niching down too. like get your one or two clinical areas, get your technique, be the badass master of that. Like go to all the trainings and do all that and really just become an expert. And your clients are just so much better for it. I think, you know, every client that winds up coming to me always is like, wow, like you really know your stuff. And I was like, well, it's been three decades. I mean, I hope I do. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm so niched into certain areas and that's just what I do. And and I'm able to explain things in a way that they feel so heard and hopeful. So that's really important to understand what your legal liabilities are and limitations are. I mean, some states don't allow you to talk about nutrition and things like that. So I have two integrative certifications that I got much later (laughs) because there was no certifications available and it sort of legally protects me and I continually do continuing education credits. Obviously, to maintain these certifications, I have to do continuing education credits. So where do you start? So one, number one, what's in alignment with you? Okay. Two, the number one way that I like to start in terms of integrative and bringing that in is typically breath work. So breath work is the is free and it's the quickest way that you can bring your autonomic nervous system down from a sympathetic dominant to a parasympathetic dominant to that relaxed state. So when you practice it in a session with your clients, they feel it. Now, you might get some clients are so activated, they don't want to participate. And there's different workarounds for that. I have a lot of different tools, but it is the best place to start. Do you feel that way, Chris? I I was just going to say, yeah, I agree. That's how I started. Yeah, that's how you start. And I think once you see that breath work, you're like, holy cow, like that's a big deal. Now, breath work has to happen outside of the session. So you need to have, you know, a breath work. I don't want to say homework sheet but a practice sheet for your clients. You need to have what it is. You need to have them do it every day. I tell everybody you got to do it three times a day minimum. You need to get the nervous system practicing. And this is where the psychoeducation comes in. It's got to practice being in a parasympathetic state. It's not going to stay there. Like one nice session of breath work. Yeah. Okay. Like it's like the massage that you go to once every year, you know, like, no, Right. So, so I think breath work is the best place to start. And then when it comes with the other things, like what is your population? Like, what do they want? So I have uh, my specialties are pans and pandas, infectious disease, you know, OCD, and then more of the extreme cases of, you know, ADD, uh, anxiety, mood disorders, kind of in there is some autism too. And so I have very complex cases. So my people want for me, they want nutrition support. They want supplements. And of course, they want the brain-based therapies. That's the main reason why people come to me because we use equipment that we're able to mail out and we work remotely with people. And it's coaching. It's neurofeedback. It's not, you know, I'm not doing psychotherapy across state lines, just so everybody knows. It's actually a coaching program that incorporates all those things in it. So I knew what my people want. And it's so funny. Like every time I think, oh, they want this. No, they tell me what they want. And I ask them, I have like a Facebook group. You don't need to have that. You can, you can, you can explore it. So what's in alignment with you? What does your clients want? And do I think every single person on the world can benefit from talking about sleep hygiene? 
Yes. Right. Like if you have adult clients, they're not getting proper sleep, right? Start, start there. Start there. And diet, am I prescribing a specific diet? Well, now I am because it's my own diet. It's got its own name. We're not going to reveal that right now. But what I prescribe is an an anti-inflammatory diet. There are multiple types of anti-inflammatory diet. Every single day on my Google alerts, I swear, at least three times a week, I get some type of research showing the benefits of an anti-inflammatory diet, which also includes a Mediterranean diet. So general education and the way I talk about diet, yeah, I'm gluten-free and dairy-free and sugar-free and all that stuff. That is not what you have to have. An anti-inflammatory diet is really about having low inflammation foods. So it's about increasing those foods. And everybody can make a 20 or 30% change. And when you do that, wow, you can feel different. That can be something you can talk about. Because I tell you what, Chris, when I look at the threads, either in my state or the national, people get very hung up about talking about diet. Well, we're not nutritionists and we're not all that. I'm not telling you to do that. If you are very interested in diet like I am, so that was really my first entry into all of this. The holistic stuff really was diet. So I did a lot of training. I've done an extensive amount of learning and and education on this and will continue. But the research is very clear. You can make general recommendations. You can recommend a book that talks about diet. There's no harm in that. We all make recommendations. And guess what? For those therapists that are out there that are just recommending psychiatric meds, you're not a licensed medical provider. So somehow we feel better about that and it has terrible side effects, but yet we're not telling people to have more fat and protein. (laughs) Who's going to get harmed from that? Nobody. But science shows us so clearly that it's super effective. I mean, two big studies came out this year. One was about mindfulness-based stress reduction techniques and how it was as effective as psychiatric medication for anxiety and depression and similar studies related to nutrition. Why are we not doing a summary and giving that to our client? My clients are like, nobody's telling me these things. And I have really educated and clearly wealthy people because they're flying in, flying on airplanes Um, to come and see me. So we have to be that purveyor. We have to educate people. And there's no harm in that. There's nothing about it. You can have lots of literature. You could have research study summaries, however you feel most comfortable. But taking an investment and helping it or going to that next level and getting your training, that's what integrative care looks like. Yeah, that's a lot. You just said. (laughs) Yeah. And I hope people, like, it's an aha moment for them of their own power as a therapist. But I still believe breath work and I think nutrition and even those mindfulness-based stress reduction techniques, like what about meditation? What about getting certified in yoga, right? We were just talking about that. You know, what if doing a training in yoga to understand how it can help? It doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to be doing yoga, but I've done a lot of yoga techniques. You know how many people, Chris, when they struggle with brain fog and things like that, you know, I always tell them to do legs up the wall. Yes, I love that. So I don't have to be a yoga instructor to do that, but I've been, I've learned how that gets blood back into the brain and how, you know, how powerful it can be with alertness. So instead of feeling like, you know, I think the power of integrative care is that we're able to give 
the best clinical options to our clients and they get so excited and so empowered. And you know, listen, we all have the clients that are low motivation and it might be harder. And for them, it's sticking to one thing until the dial sort of moves and then we layer and we layer. I definitely get a lot of jump in the deep end people who are like, Dr. Rao, I want to do it all. And I'm like, wait a second, let's let's be strategic. And I do a lot of intensive work, particularly for my people with OCD, where they where they work with me for two weeks. And this is what we do for two weeks, not just psychotherapy. We literally are like, okay, what are you eating? When you're here, you're not allowed to eat, you know, da da da. And, you know, we really show them what it feels like when you feel better. And then people are way more motivated to do the cognitive behavioral work. Yeah, I'm thinking about what you said with um, even sharing research studies. So it's almost like giving them those options and they, they make the decision. That's it. That's it. And even like I said, if you're not going to like, okay, well, I don't feel like I want to do biofeedback or whatever it is. Um, some pe- people contact me all the time about neurofeedback. And I always say that contact the, you know, you can go to bcia.org for more understanding of training. I don't mentor anybody. There's not enough hours in my day to do that. Um, at some point when I exit out of all this, I'll probably do an integrative practitioner mastermind, but I'm nowhere close to that. You can follow me on social if I decide to do it. There's a lot to do. There's a lot, right? And you and I are deepening every day because I think when I first started, you know, I I talk a lot about this boy that I work with. It's not his real name, but he's a man now. Alec is not his real name. And he came to me and he was the case that, you know, people gave up on. And his mom found me and even I at that time was like, well, I think he needs meds. And, you know, he had cardiac problems as a result. Long story, his mom found neurofeedback. I was like, go and do it. I wrote a paper on it in grad school and there's no local provider. So she she slept like an hour and 10 minutes each way. And I happened to see him and he truly to this day had the worst case of ADHD I've ever seen in my life. He could pay attention for seconds for seconds. And and know that I worked, as you heard me, I worked in residential treatment centers. This kid still had the worst case of ADHD. So he wind up completely reversing his issues. He would have later been diagnosed with autism. And it was unbelievable to me what happened to him when his brain regulated and how it alerted. And I just jumped right into it. I was like, I got to be doing this neurofeedback. He might be one of my most extreme cases, but I got so many variations of it. And he inspired me to go deeper. Now, that is a huge commitment. The learning curve for that is absolutely two years. Maybe you want to do that. That's okay. But knowing what you want to do, you might not know. And you kind of have to explore a little bit about it. And I think these kind of things, a huge podcast listener, I listen to probably at least one podcast a day. I actually have quite a bit of a drive. So it's a great opportunity for me. But I, I just like to listen to things. So I can be doing one thing and listen. So starting with podcasts, then selecting trainings and doing that, reading books. But I think you just got to jump in and pick something. And again, breath work, moving through, looking at your wins. Even before I did neurofeedback and biofeedback, when I had people who couldn't do breath work, I used to do temperature training. I don't know if you've ever done it, Chris. No, what's that? So you can Google on, you can go to Amazon and you could do temperature dots. 
Google that word. And so it is these little dots that change color when your body heats up. This is a form of biofeedback. So I would have a dot and I would put it on somebody's hand. They're super inexpensive, by the way. So, and you put it on somebody's hand and this is so fascinating. You tell the person, I want you to heat up your body. You're going to concentrate on your hand and you're going to heat up your body. And I literally have never had any adult or child not be able to do this. And what's the benefit? When you heat up your body, you go into an alpha brain state. And an alpha brain state is a feel-good brain state. Alpha comes out with you know things like dancing or hugs or sex or smoking pot. <laughs> like it, it comes out in these ways that can be healthy or unhealthy, but this is a healthy way. And so when I would have a really anxious person... I would do temperature training to get them into an alpha state. Really easy. I would start out my psychotherapy sessions first with that. And I think that's one of the best things if you're starting out in integrative work, find a way to help them regulate their nervous system in the first five to 10 minutes of a session. If you really want them to maximize their session, breath work, temperature training, other forms of biofeedback, heart math, which are very easy and inexpensive to add to your practice, it is a game changer in maximizing the growth of your clients. Agreed. And I and I just want to circle back to you when you mentioned consistent practice. That's what I teach a lot with clients. And I start from the first session to say, hey, you can't just come here and learn these holistic modalities and expect everything's going to change. So this has to become part of your lifestyle and practicing at home and being able to do what I call preventative work. And it's also learning about that these practices, doing them for the sake of these practices and to reframe the way they think about. Because a lot of people will say, I don't have time or I have a busy schedule. There's too much going on. But what is a way that I can give this to myself and take time yeah. for myself? And everyone who isn't busy, Chris, I you know. know what I mean? Yeah. Even though I work with kids, I still have retirees that come to me and they're always the coolest people because they're invested in themselves. And they're the busiest people because they're like, I'm going here, I'm doing this. It's reframing that and making an investment in yourself exactly like you said. And, you know, if we aren't teaching people that, because we have to dispel the myths because also when we, you know, especially people have a lot of expectations when they work with me, right? Like they've seen me on something or whatever, or, you know, they're desperate. So many of us work with desperate people and then they're like, this is the thing. No, I tell everybody you are the thing and you are the magic and it's the consistency. And that consistency is not a message in our culture. We are a culture, right? Yeah. Yeah. Immediate gratification. Like, okay, yeah, here's what it is. I'm so disappointed that med didn't fix it. It was like, okay, well, are you still doing X, Y, and Z? Yeah. Okay. Well, how is the med going to fix it if you're still doing X, Y, and Z? There's such a disconnect. And I think that's why there is, you know, people are generally stressed, but they're moving away from healthy components in their lifestyle. And that's what makes me feel so good about bringing all of these things back. Because even though people are like, oh, they don't work as quick. I completely disagree. I feel that when I really get people to actually practice at home, they feel a difference much more readily and are able to move through the higher level cognitive work and getting rid of, you know, the negative self-talk and, oh, the things that really hold people back is their belief systems about healing. 
this isn't going to work, or I'm a bad person, or I'm dumb, or all those terrible things that even the youngest of children say to themselves. That to me is a much more harder piece. And this becomes, this helps to carry the load and, and also change the brain, right? We know that in as little as 40 days of 10 minutes or more of meditation, the brain actually changes. So true. And I think I think once clients see the benefits too, and hopefully therapists are doing these practices as well, because I feel like you can't teach these if you aren't embodying them yourself. So that's true, the, Chris. That's the other piece of it. Right. We can't pretend that, you know, oh yeah, this is what you have to do, but I'm, you know, not going to do it myself. And they ask a lot of questions like, how do you integrate this? And I have my own podcast. It's going to be okay for parents. And I share all the time my kids stuff and, you know, what we're doing. And, and some of them are like just real life moments because they, they need to know that we are utilizing these same things too. And can we go back to supplements? I know you mentioned yeah. that briefly. So I have listeners have asked about, can we recommend supplements if we know some have worked for us or we've heard some good things? So what are, what are your thoughts on that as far as scope of practice and competence? Yeah. So obviously I do spend a lot of time talking about supplements. I also have my own supplement line, Neurotastic, coming out, which for me is another company. So just so you know, it's another company. There's a whole legal way kind of around it, but I'm trained in supplements. So I have a certification that uh, where I was trained in how to use supplements. So I am covered within my state laws about supplements. However, you always have to disclaimer. So anytime you're recommending a supplement, my supplements have a disclaimer. We'll talk about two ways to do this. So one is directly recommending things that work, right? So I have lots of informational blogs on my website about supplements for ADHD, anxiety, wellness, OCD, very specific but again, have disclaimers. So there's the general way to do it. Like here's some information. You can point your clients, you could build a resource library for them. Same thing. You could say, you know, here's a book on, you know, this or whatever it is that you're comfortable with. Phase two is now I've gotten a certification that legally protects me. And I recommend in writing specific supplements. Now, I only recommend evidence-based research stuff. That's just across the board. But what are supplements that are brain basics for mental health? That is what I focus on. So magnesium, you know, vitamin D. I do recommend a lot of methylated folate due to genetic mutations and a few other sort of basic, basic ones that are generally really safe. Again, always have a disclaimer, always tell them to check. And a lot of my people will go to a functional practitioner who will check their nutrient levels in their blood and verify that's there or not. You have to work what's there. I do believe every single human being should be on magnesium and vitamin D. I think that you're pretty darn safe as long as you know magnesium is not fat soluble. And the worst that's going to happen to you with magnesium is you're going to have loose bowels. So that's okay. And there's different kinds of magnesium. Um, so understanding the different kinds, understanding what helps the brain. I have all this stuff on my website if anybody wants to get education. Plus, you could just Google and you can look at research studies. And then vitamin D is different. Vitamin D is fat soluble. So when anything is fat soluble, it means that it can build within the system, which can be bad. So, you know, just if you're, they're going to come back to you and they're going to want to know dosages. If you're recommending a specific thing and you're putting it in writing, adults with clinical issues, you probably want to do five 
5,000 I use. Kids, I wouldn't go over 2,000. And you can kind of just say, here's the maximum you should. Or you can say, here's what I recommend. Go get your lab work and have your doctor tell you. But most doctors recommend too little of a level for it to change a clinical problem. And please know that many people have low nutrient levels with these clinical conditions, particularly stress activated, you know, anxiety and things like that. And also particularly with depression because their body is in such overdrive that they're using nutrients that they should be able to get from food, number one. But number two, most people with mental health issues have genetic mutations which interfere with how the body utilizes these nutrients. So they're gonna need to be supplemented. You're not gonna be able to eat as healthy as possible to get this. So it has a lot to do with the stress activation of the nervous system and what happens to the resources in the body. So recommending supplements two ways, general or getting some training to legally protect you putting it in writing, but always having a disclaimer. But I don't think, you know, unless you're really diving deep into it, you're better off just doing general stuff. Here's a research summary. Here's a blog of somebody else or whatever it is. But I think it's helpful to have, they're asking questions. Number one questions any patients ask me about, or not even patients, like on all my social media following, it's always supplements. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of interest in that and because it can be very helpful. And I wonder, is it okay for us to, to refer to like more of the doctors that are trained in that too? Because I know there's oh, most definitely. functional medicine and that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I have great, I think everybody who's moving into integrative needs to find two or three practitioners in their area who they love to refer to, who you can have a synergistic partnership with. Plus, I just, I love it. I love care that's coordinated. And my patients really appreciate that I'll get on the phone or I like to email people in this world. You know, having a conversation because we can't stop disconnecting the brain and, you know, the body right? We, we can't, we, we mental health issues, you know, these are all related and it's shockingly positive how awesome some of these interventions can be. You know, I was um, recently on a podcast talking about just inositol and inositol is, is uh, basically an amino acid. It falls under the B vitamins and then it's really a lot of clinical research for mental health in things you wouldn't thought of like eating disorders, panic disorder. And I use it a lot for OCD. It's one of the top OCD ones. We can give this research to people. And what I tell people with, for example, just with inositol, and this is consistent with the research, is that about one third of my people notice a significant improvement very quick. I mean, within a couple of weeks. But one third notice some kind of change and about one third notice nothing. And, you know, when I say to my people, you have about a two thirds chance. There's almost zero negative side effect from it. What do you think? Do you want to, do you want to try it? And they're like, yes. I mean, especially with like OCD, which anybody who's ever worked with somebody with OCD, I think can tell you that if you're not trained in ERP, you feel like, oh my God, like that was a hard case, right? Like incredibly, incredibly hard because it's such an irrational, it's based in irrational fear. So when you're trying to talk to them, you get caught up in their irrational fears. And if you don't know how to corral it and move it and challenge it, you're like, I think I just made that worse. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know? <laughs> so, so the case of anastatol, you know, it's really empowering for people to know. And I let my clients make, make choices, but working with functional practitioners is amazing. And, and that's the way to say, I don't want to do any of that, but I want somebody else to educate them. That's a great way to be an integrative practitioner. You're on an integrative team. You know, never to say to your client, like, well, that's terrible. I don't think that's a good idea, you know? I mean, I'm always in shock sometimes what another practitioner will tell a client who's considering something integrative. They could say, I don't know about it, but if you feel good about it, give it a try. And I think that as a holistic therapist too, because I've developed a lot of resources for clients too to refer in the community, I think that that's another piece that you can offer is I think we can't be good at every part of this. No. That's, I think that just being realistic, because I know listeners get very excited with holistic approaches and want to do everything and learn all, about all these bits and pieces, but not to overwhelm you. I think if you do try to do too much, it's, it's, you're not going to be good if no. you take on too much. And I think where a practitioner has to start and just, and that is so important because you're talking about, I've been doing this for 31 years and right out of the gate, I became holistic. So I've now gone through a lot of trainings, of course, right? I'm getting my CEUs and beyond, but I also am this very sort of, I'm very nerdy. I dive right in, you know, to everything. You got to pick one thing and really master it. But I think you have to start with the psychoeducation for yourself about how that clinical issue affects the brain. So you can be super awesome at educating your client with it. And then you really have to pick like, what are the one or two things that I really want to start with and really master that before you start layering and adding it in? Because Otherwise, you're not going to get the response from your client population either. But I do believe, I mean, I don't think there's a therapist out there that wouldn't say breath work is awesome. Does it work 100% of the time? No. So this is where you, because some of our clients refuse it, or I have clients with OCD around sensory processing and they can't do breath work. Like, so there's limitations, right? Some of my trauma people refuse yeah, to do breath I was going to say work. that. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes that's a safety mechanism that they breathe a certain way. And when you change that, that can be activating, which puts them into sympathetic, which is not what you're looking for. Which is not what you're, right? So we have to meet everybody where there's at. And that's where having, you know, some resources. But, you know, if you're somebody, let's say you're a practitioner specializes in anxiety. Well, there are some really beautiful resources that are holistic that work amazing for anxiety. You know, maybe it's understanding, again, magnesium. I mean, magnesium is your friend. It doesn't matter if you're overstimulated or understimulated. Everybody needs it. We are so activated and magnesium is the number one most nutrient, used nutrient in the body. It is a cofactor. So it's a helper in over 300 chemical processes. We are burning through it in our busy stress lives, our busy minds. I just feel like it's a standard for, you know, everyone always says like, what are you giving your kids? You know, like it's magnesium, it's vitamin D. It's of course a good probiotic. So um, we didn't even get into probiotics. And people always ask me about, you know, the gut brain access and things. So, you know, educating yourself about, the the gut brain access like what is happening in the body under stress conditions is incredibly credibly helpful and it's such an education point for clients and then you really have to decide like what are those things I'm going to own how am I going to do this and 
you can play around like, okay, breath work. You don't need a certification for that. Okay. But let's say you're like, I love breath work so much. Biofeedback and heart math might be your next step. And you can buy that. You can do that. You can do a clinical training course and get certified pretty inexpensively. And I think meditation is another area to kind of go into. Yeah. That you don't have to be certified. I think there's some ways to practice with that too and get used to it before you, (laughs) before you teach. It can be huge though, meditation. It can be so big. Like I always feel like I've learned, I mean, I've been using meditation like right at the get-go and I use a lot of um, progressive relaxation meditations where you're tensing the body and releasing because I feel like that's the biggest bang for your buck. But I also did a lot of guided visualizations where people are releasing things. And even when I did that, I remember being very in my 20s and doing that with people and then not understanding there's certain people you can't get them to release stuff because it actually was the sympathetic trigger. And, you know, so having some guidance and a container for that, whether that's education on your own, or you're doing a class, I do think is really important. But I think basic level meditation, whether they're listening to something on YouTube, why wouldn't we recommend that? And if you're not comfortable doing meditation with clients, I have some supervisees who just play one in session, a short one, or I'll recommend it for homework. So you don't have to like I said, you don't have to be trained in every single thing. So if something you're not comfortable, but could be beneficial, you know, just use those modalities. So those free things that are already out there, like the Insight Timer. Or oh the my Aura, gosh, Insight Timer was like a game changer, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, you know, hearing like, oh, should I do EMDR? Oh, Roseanne just said EFT tapping. Oh, you know, like you've got to see what it's like and then decide like, oh, I don't like doing that. Don't do anything that feels uncomfortable to you. You know, I would have people that would start training when I used to do a lot of mentoring with neurofeedback. And I definitely think it's a game changer. It's such a commitment. It's so hard. And I've I've done training with physicians and they told me it was harder to learn neurofeedback than to get their degree. But that's because it's complex and it's not a straightforward way to do it. Like, okay, here's surgery and this is what you do. That's what they told me. And I was like, okay. But, you know, then I had people who were just like I'm doing it and I want to continue doing it, but I don't like it. And I was like, well, why are you continuing it? Because your clients are going to know. But also, what is it about it that you don't like? Is it fear of yourself? Like, what is it? And, you know, be your, put your own therapist hat on yes. and look at your own stuff. But, you know, there's going to be more than one thing that's in alignment with who you are. I think you just have to decide when you start and, and look at the results decide, do I want to go deeper? And do I want to layer on more? And how much do I want to make this as part of our practice? I can't imagine doing therapy today with the level of stress, which is so amplified than when I started in 1992, like so amplified. I can't imagine doing traditional talk therapy and psycho and meds with no other options in between. Exactly. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. I so appreciate you coming back on the podcast, Dr. Roseanne. Well, thank you. And thank you for the opportunity to, you know, help educate and empower therapists who are out there. Most of us are by ourselves. Yeah. What's the best way for people to find you? Yeah. You can just go to www.drrosanne.com and that is the best way to get a hold of me. And we'll put all that in the show notes for listeners to access that. And as a gift to my listeners, I want and to help support you on your holistic journey. I have a free 30-day aura meditation app guest pass to help you find peace 
and get your restful sleep. So check it out today at www.orahealth.io forward slash guest pass slash Chris dash McDonald. And this is Chris McDonald sending each one of you much light and love. Till next time, take care. The information in this podcast is for general educational purposes only and is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are giving legal, financial, counseling, or any other kind of professional advice. If you need a professional, please find the right one for you.